The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This podcast features former NFL and Iowa Hawkeye star Marv Cook. Marv breaks down Iowa's home loss to Michigan State, and he previews the road game at Purdue. This program also features the weekly Big Ten Conference update. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our three weekly programs this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as numerous guest commentators and reporters. Be sure to check out Brent Balbinot's press box report from the Michigan State game and the release later of the reporter's notebook. And broadcast school has really paid off. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and choose not to get sick. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly X's and O's stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Marv breaks down Iowa's loss to the Spartans, and he previews Purdue. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. To start off, your initial impressions of the Iowa-Michigan State game. Uh, obviously, just uh, feel sorry for the seniors. You know, I feel sorry for to go out on that kind of note. Uh, just to play so flat the first half was, uh, you know, obviously a big disappointment. I, I actually wholeheartedly believe it would be the exact opposite of that. I thought we'd come out and play well. But Michigan State did some nice things, had some nice packages that, that was able to make some big plays for them in the first half and, and put us behind the eight ball a little bit. How big of a deal is senior day for a player? How emotional is it? And is it a distraction or does it help? It's not a distraction. It's actually a great time for recollection and and you, you realize how fast your four or five years go at Iowa. And, um, you know, it's a time to honor the parents and and look back upon you know, your career and reflect upon it. And, you know, obviously some will be going on to play in the NFL, some will be going on to do some other things. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a finality. It's knowing that this is the last time you're gonna be playing at Kinnick Stadium. And so it's, uh, it's a pretty special day. What positives can we take away from this game? Well, you know, that we came back and, and made it a game and had a chance at times, you know, so. But, you know, that's like anything else. Michigan State was in a little bit of a prevent mode a little bit and kind of let us get back into it. but. But yeah, I mean, so we, we played competitively. You know, they are a top 15 ranked team, a talented football team. And, and so, you know, we're right there. We're close. When I look back at this season, the wins that we have, the losses that we have, I feel like it's a fair assessment to say this team is okay. And what specifically can we look at when this team is playing well and when they're playing poorly? What's the difference? And is it something as easy as they're able to run the ball? It has a lot to do with it. I mean, uh, you know, I think Coker averaged 2.7 yards per carry versus four and a half, five. And, you know, I think the one thing we're lucky to have McNutt. I mean, if McNutt had left and gone to the NFL last year, I don't know where this team would be right now. I mean, he is a huge difference, difference maker for our offense and has been a big play guy all year long. So, 
you know, it's weird because I honestly think you can make a case that we could be, you know, 10 and 0 uh, at this point, but you could also make a case that we could be very easily 4 and 6. So we're 6 and 4. Uh, you know, they got a chance to finish up, you know, with two good wins here uh, on the road and, and, and have an 8 and 4 season. So I think if, at the beginning of the season, if you said 8 and 4, you probably would have been okay with that, but it's just kind of how they've shaken out who we've beaten and who we've lost to this biggest disappointment. What stood out to me the most of this game, and it's been apparent in several other contests, is Iowa's poor tackling. Uh, what have you seen and what are your thoughts? Yeah, we, we, we've been so good the last couple of years coming down, our, sec our secondary guys coming down, our linebackers out on the edge, really being uh, effective in our, in our linebacker core, you know, good in open field, but also good inside. Is, is with getting on guys and getting them to the ground and you know that's I think that's a more tribute to what we've had versus what we do have now because you know I think you know a lot of these guys are still getting experience they're still young in some areas and they're just going to get better and better and better I mean you got to look at Bernstein Bernstein's having an unbelievable senior year but you know I mean think of where he was two years ago or you know or even a year ago for the most part uh, so it takes time to develop and, and mature and, and, and become a great great football player in the Big Ten. On the defensive side of the ball, how much longer can Iowa afford to run this defensive scheme? Um, there seems to be a sentiment that, one, the up-tempo offenses, mobile quarterbacks, they seem to have passed it by, and it really looks like they no longer have the personnel to run it as effectively as they used to. Well, you know, one thing, it's easy to go up-tempo if you have a good feeling what the defense is going to be doing. When you, when you don't know what they're going to be doing, you have no idea what front, what coverage, they're going to be and a lot of times those things if you go up tempo will confuse you offensively uh, more than they'll affect the defense so you know I think a lot of these up tempo offenses the reason they go up tempo is because they want to get you base you know they want to get you to run the same thing over and over and over again so then they know what and then they have an advantage on you know when you're calling plays you're going to call plays that are, are effective against certain defenses well if you've kind of got a good feel that if you go hurry up they're going to get into a base defense then you got a, a list of three or four plays that you're going to try to get into and I think you have to practice, you have to be effective as far as changing things up, even when other teams are in the no huddle uh, and bringing different blitz packages, bringing different zone blitzes and coverages behind it, uh, just to make sure that the quarterback isn't always getting there and saying, well, it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, a 31 defense with cover, cover three behind or something. So, you know, so you, you've got, you need to evolve. Offenses are smart. They, they change all the time and adapt with new strategies and new schemes to affect defenses, so you've got to change and adapt all the time. There's a lot of talk about the run-heavy play calling on Saturday, and you know anybody who was there can tell you how windy it was. As a former QB, and then as somebody you know made their living trying to catch the ball, can you talk about how much impact the wind has on the ball at field level? You know, it has a lot. You know, especially if the quarterback's not throwing a tight spiral and, and driving the ball in there. You know, I, I really didn't notice that as a factor. I think Vandenberg does a nice job throwing the football. I think where you really see the effect is, is on the longer touch passes. I mean, the ball's going to move, you know, a good four to six feet with gust. So it's tougher to be more accurate on the longer balls. For the most part, if you're throwing slants or digs or, or hooks or stuff, you know, and you're driving the ball, it shouldn't have that much of an effect on it. It was mentioned several times in the press box. TV, you could see it on the replays as well. But it looked like Coker was trying to plow straight ahead instead of taking literally at times one step to his right or his left where he had an open lane. What's going on there and what do you think he was seeing? Well, he's seen a lot of white shirts, you know, they're playing eight in the box or getting that eighth guy down in the box and, and you know, a lot of times you're 
as a running back, you're thinking, I got to get three yards and then I can make a move. And so, you know, his style is to run downhill, north and south. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's just a half a cut, you know, half a hole over and, and the hole's there or the hole's going to be there because the line is moving. So, but, you know, he's been effective all year. He's obviously had great statistics. You know, Michigan, Michigan State statistically has, you know, a good defense, but that's where I just think a change of pace uh, is good for an offense. If you have a, another back that comes in and maybe isn't a three-yard rusher but has the ability to make a guy miss and, and turn the corner for 30 or 35, it forces the defense to get a little less aggressive uh, when they come up and fill those, those holes. So uh, we just don't have that now with McCall getting hurt. We just lost that element to our offense, and we haven't been able to develop a guy to get in that position to kind of back up Marcus Coker. Why do you feel Iowa didn't go to the hurry-up offense sooner in the fourth quarter or even later in the third? We still, for the most part, had a chance. You know, we, 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 we clawed back into it, and, and, you know, we were actually in a pretty good position with, with decent time on the clock, with the exception until the, the very end when they went up 14, and we, were, we had to drive then at the, in the end, we fumbled. But, but, I mean, you know, midway through the third, late in the third quarter, I actually still felt the Hawks were right there, and they clawed their way back into it. You know, obviously our two-minute offense, this group of guys have had success with it. Uh, it is something that when defenses do get conservative, you can attack them back and, and move the ball quickly and efficiently. So, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. When they finally did go to the hurry up, what's the theory of having your QB under center as opposed to in the shotgun, especially with Vandenberg? In the press box, there was considerable discussion about that and how it almost defied common sense. So you have the semblance of run, um, basically is what it is to me. Uh, the only problem is, is when you take the snap and if you go back, you, you usually have to take your eyes off the, the secondary for a six, split second, but you know, it, it is what it is. And like I said, with the exception of having it be where you just completely have to throw caution in the wind, you, you want a semblance of the run and being under center kind of gives you that. After the Big Ten update, Marv talks Iowa's kicking game, officiating, fake injuries, and Purdue. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard! 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet! Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. In our Big Ten update this week, the conference enters week 12 of the season, with eight teams still mathematically in the hunt for their respective Legends and Leaders division crowns. Michigan State can clinch a tie in the Legends division with a home win over Indiana, and if Nebraska were to lose at Michigan, the Spartans would clinch the title outright. In the leaders' division, the contest is a bit tighter. While Penn State sits atop the division right now, they finish out the regular season on the road at Ohio State this Saturday and then at Wisconsin next week. The Badgers are only one game back and play at increasingly hapless Illinois this week. Ohio State is two back. 
Whoever ends up in the Big Ten's first championship game, they will be contending for the Stag Trophy. Joe Paterno's name was removed from the trophy earlier this week by the conference. The Big Ten is also one of three conferences with five or more teams ranked in the top 25 in all three polls, plus the BCS rankings. And the conference has the most bowl-eligible teams at this point in the season. Eight teams have qualified. And Northwestern and Purdue need only one more win each to become eligible. That would give the conference 10 teams that are bowl eligible with only eight guaranteed Big Ten bowl slots. Another interesting point of discussion is whether Penn State will be invited to a bowl or if invited, whether it should accept given the ongoing scandal in Happy Valley. While the Hawkeyes are bowl eligible, finishing the season with two more losses might make an Iowa invitation a bit dicey. The Big Ten and Iowa still have numerous players ranked in the top 25 nationally in various NCAA categories. Marcus Coker, Marvin McNutt, and James Morris are included in that group. However, for the first time in years, the Hawkeyes are not ranked in the top 25 nationally in a single team category on either offense, defense, or special teams. We've already mentioned the slate of key conference games this weekend, all with some bearing on the division races. They include Nebraska at Michigan, Penn State at Ohio State, and Wisconsin at Illinois. The Michigan State-Indiana game is another one of the conference's trophy games. The winner of that contest takes the old brass spittoon. It will be the 54th battle for that one. Another interesting note, the Ohio State-Penn State game will be the first time since 2001 that those two squads face off without head coaches Joe Paterno or Jim Tressel. Who would have predicted that last January? We also have our first official coach on the hot seat watch for 2011. After a fast start, Illinois has struggled and looked bad doing it in recent games. Head coach Ryan Zook is feeling the heat. He even walked out on his own press conference this week when asked about it. The Zucker is only 34-49 and 49 overall at Illinois and upside down in conference play at 18-36. and 36. He was hired in 2005 and he's under contract through the 2013 season, but the Illini have a new athletic director who may not put up with Zook much longer. In spite of its recent play, though, the Illini are bowl eligible. There have also been some rumblings about Danny Hope's job at Purdue, but bowl eligibility for the Boilermakers probably stops that. Purdue needs to win either this week versus Iowa or next Saturday against Indiana. Next, Marv Cook looks at Iowa's special teams, Michigan State's alleged injuries in the Iowa game, and he previews Purdue. Looked like special teams had maybe one of its worst games of the year. How much of an issue is Mike Myers' inability to get kickoffs into the end zone for touchbacks? He's had only two all season. Um, Saturday, another example of a failure to kick deep. It's huge. I mean, obviously, forcing teams to start on the 20-yard line versus starting on the 30, 35, 40, is a big thing for your defense. And, and if, if they have to start on the 20 to get to the 35, they need one well-executed series of plays, basically, you know, three or four well-executed snaps unless they get a big play in there. But, you know, that's a lot. And, and if you have to do that repeatedly three or four, five, six times during the course of the game, chances are you're going to get at least one or two, three and outs there, and then you're going to get pretty good field position. Is this an issue of leg strength, technique, or both? It's just leg strength. I mean, obviously these guys at this point have good technique. Although, you know, sometimes it's coached that you want to kick it high and keep them and try to pin them down in there. But if you have a weak coverage, obviously you want them just pounding off the back of the end zone. So I don't think I don't think our coverage has been a strength for us this year. 
Uh, obviously, I think if they had a kicker that could put out the back of the end zone, that's exactly what they'd like to be doing. Punting was a mixed bag, too. Uh, again, even the, with the wind, Michigan State with great field position several times. You know, that, to be honest with you, that, that's where it actually is difficult as a punter. When you get gust of wind, the hold and the drop, I mean, the drop is so critical to the punter. And if it just moves a quarter of an inch on your foot, the nose comes in too much, you're not going to get the, the turnover on the spiral, then the wind's, it's going to be less of a tight spiral, then the wind's going to knock it down more. So that actually plays more of a factor with that type of thing than it does the passing game. I just asked Sean Lindetta when he punted for the Giants against the Bears. I mean, he actually whiffed a punt because of a gust when they were playing in the playoff game in Chicago. So it's difficult. So obviously the wind is, is a factor in the punting game. Those yards are critical, you know, in a Big Ten matchup. We saw another fake field goal attempt that Iowa didn't seem prepared for, and kind of looks like that's became a theme for this coaching staff. That was disappointing. I mean, that was uh, well executed by Michigan State, and uh, I don't think they ended up getting points. I think if we, we ended up stopping them, and then they maybe kicked a field goal anyway. But, but it, it is, you know, that's, that's frustrating because that's a chance where if you stuff them, you get the ball right there. And, and, then, and then the crowd's back into it too, you know, and, and um, uh, with that kind of wind, it's almost like at some point you put a two or three guy, two or three person block in, we're going to try to block it one way off the edge or up the middle, but then ultimately you got to be playing, you know, for the fake in that situation. Anytime it's less than five yards, you know, on, on a mid-range 40-yard field goal, you got to be expecting fake. Ferentz was really drawing at the officials in the second half. What did you see that he might have been upset with? Well, the one, you know, obviously the fourth down play when we tried to sneak it and they called us for procedure. Uh, Michigan State was all over the place too. I'm not sure exactly what the I never did see a replay on that as far as whether we were moving or we were set. But, uh, I mean, obviously that, that he was very, very frustrated with that decision because uh, that was at a critical juncture in the game. But other than that, you don't know some of the other issues that are going on, holding calls or something, or holdings that are not being called that he's seeing. So it's, it's really hard to say. What is your reaction to the Michigan State players going down time and again in the second half and afterwards admitting that it was faked and deliberate in an effort to slow down Iowa's offense? I think that's wrong. I mean, I, obviously, I don't. I don't think that's part of the game, and it shouldn't be a part of the game. And you know, I didn't. I didn't know that that was actually they admitted to that being a part of the deal. I mean, that's obviously, you know, the NFL has rules in place that, that you're not allowed to do that. Uh, they should also have similar things in college football as well. Uh, you touched on this earlier. You know, it's not all bad comes of this game. It was nice to see Iowa come out in the second half and play well. Um, when considering the poor play and bad luck in the first half, it would have been easy for the team to just give up. What does that say about the team and the coaching staff? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, one, we got a good plan. We executed the plan better in the second half. Two, that we have the talent to execute the plan. And three, that they don't quit, that they do play with pride and they're getting better. You know, they're getting traction and, and figuring things out. You know, those are three good traits to have. You know, the one thing you want to be is just you want to be better than that, though. You want to be the dominant team. Uh, you want to have kind of similar mindset that, that, that Wisconsin has. Uh, you know, when they play some of these teams, they're, they're up 35, seven and a half versus being the other way around. I mean, they, they really take advantage of their advantages. They take advantage of their strengths and they keep going to them over and over and over again until you stop them. And Iowa's getting better. And uh, like I said, the players are getting more experienced and they play with pride. They always have. Playing at Kinnick Stadium's a treat and a special thing. And and uh, it's a huge advantage for the Hawks. Moving on to next week, 
What do you see happening when Iowa travels to Purdue? Purdue's getting better, obviously. You know, they've had a lot of success with Ohio State. It's been a matchup thing. They want to be a spread team. Uh, they're very, very comfortable throwing the football. A lot's going to depend on the weather. You know, if the weather's not conducive to a passing attack, they're going to have some problems because I, I think they're going to have trouble running the football against us. And if they can't throw the ball effectively because of the weather, it's going to be a tough, tough day for Purdue. Similarly, Iowa, uh, you know, if it is an inclement weather, I think that favors the Hawks with our running game. Marcus Coker, is a, he's good, and that, it's perfect for that type of weather. You know, and hopefully that's the situation and, and uh, it plays into Iowa's hands. So Purdue's, like I said, they're getting better. I mean, if you'd asked me three weeks ago, I said the Hawks would have won by 2025. But, you know, now that they're getting kind of their feet underneath them a little bit and developing an identity, you know, I think they're going to be a formidable foe. Although there are two games left, record could you know, look pretty good, look pretty bad. What are your thoughts now um, where Iowa will play their bowl game and who their opponent might be? Well, we're lucky that we have great Iowa fans, you know, because uh, these bowl teams, you know, a lot of times it doesn't come down to just where you stack up and you rank in the Big Ten. It comes down to how many fans are going to take to San Antonio or to Tampa, Florida or wherever the bowl game is. So, and we've always traveled well. You know, we are fortunate that we have fans that support the Hawks, and, and so that, that carries a lot of weight. So, you know, if we can get two here, you know, get to eight and four, I think we're still a January 1 type bowl, bowl game uh, with where we're at. And if, if we don't, I think we're looking at an Alamo type bowl if, 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 we, uh, if we win one of the two. Could be a good, you know, offseason. But, you know, I mean, ultimately, it's, that's, you know, the thing you do as a player is you just you play them all and then you add them up and then they, they let you know if you can play another game and they tell you where. And so the good news is, is I think Iowa's still in a pretty good position to, to go to a pretty good bowl game. Any other thoughts? Sad way to go out of Kinnick this year because the fans have been great. It's been a great home field advantage. I think we've had a good streak. That streak's been broken, but uh, we got to start another one next season. Over? Did you say Over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. Also, check out the game photos and video highlights of Iowa games, other Big Ten action, and teams across the country. Just click on the video tab. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeye's Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Hawkeye. And listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brommel Camp Show, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. <laughs> Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. 
and by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. As always, our special thanks to Marv Cook and to Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.